opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the rising cost to originate a mortgage loan and the FHFA's decision to delay the controversial upfront fee for borrowers with higher debt-to-income ratios. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Diego Sanchez, COO of HW Media, and I'm joined today by Alex Ilazai, Chief Strategy Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Hey, Diego. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Most forecasters are seeing rates in the fives and the sixes for 2023 and, and 2024, which means we will be in a purchase market for the foreseeable future. Is this good for the broker channel? Yeah, it's great for the broker channel. You know, just assume a rate's at 6%, right? We have temporary buy-down products, just as an example, where you can buy down that product where the first year you're going to pay 4%, second year you're going to pay 5%, and the third year and beyond you'll pay the 6%. And by that time, hopefully you'll probably be in a, we'll be in a position where you can refi that loan. Uh, so really, there's just so much opportunity. To me, the way that we think about it, Diego, is like you're dating the rate, but you're marrying the house, right? So you want to go out there. If you see the house that you like, you see the property you like, you, you buy it, right? And you worry about getting that lower rate maybe in a you know back half of the year uh, or even next year. But again, it's just going to be a short-term thing the way that we think about it. And still, relatively speaking, we're not talking about massive interest rates, right? I mean, the, the days of the twos and the threes that we were experiencing in, in 2021, that was somewhat of an anomaly. So we expect them to come down a little bit and all the forecasters and economic indicators are pointing that fashion. But right now, I think we're in a good spot and brokers are continuing to win. And you can see it in our broker share and everything that we're doing. We're just having an outstanding start to the year. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you. It's good to spend time with you. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back, Sarah. Great to have you back. You know, every week that I have you on, it's like, how do I choose from all of the news that's going on? Because we have so much. Uh, where I wanted to start today was with a story that we had last week about the average IMB and how much it costs to originate, you know, and what they lost per origination in Q4. Can you uh, bring us up to date on that? Yeah, absolutely. So no secret that mortgage has been precipitously getting worse over the last few quarters. And Hopefully, it reached the bottom in the fourth quarter of 2022. And for independent mortgage banks, known as IMBs, non-banks, whatever, uh, whatever your your term is, uh, they lost on average uh, about two thousand eight hundred and twelve dollars on each loan they originated between October and December. And just to give you a better sense of how that compares to the prior quarter, when Again, in the third quarter, I mean, things weren't great. In the third quarter, the average IMB lost about $624. And so that's about, what, four times worse, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a massive uh, change in, in just a lack of profitability. And as you might imagine, for yet another quarter, the average pre-tax net production income was negative, and uh, in the fourth quarter, it reached a survey low of 99 basis points in the final three months of 2022. And I mean, pretty much every number is down across the board, except for, of course, 
the genesis of the problem here, the cost to originate a loan. And total loan production expenses in the fourth quarter rose to $12,450 per loan. And even from a quarter prior, the third quarter, that's up from $11,000 per loan. And loan production expenses averaged about almost $7,100 per loan. And it's just it's just getting more and more difficult uh, for IMBs to make money. And, and if you think about it, I think the most interesting part about these numbers that I can spit out is that that's just the average. So if the average independent mortgage bank is losing $2,500 or so per loan, think about all of those that are worse than average, right? And we know that there are tons and tons of different uh, originators that have made big cuts and it just isn't enough because you need to offset that with scale and production and production for everyone is down. I mean, no one, almost no one is doing more in production than they were a quarter ago, two quarters ago, three quarters ago, because of course it's, you know, it's, it's in, in line with interest rates. And it tells me that one, the cuts as great as they have been, we're talking like tens and tens of thousands of jobs is not even close to enough. Um, and, and the second factor is we don't really see, uh, a lot of promise in it looking better in the first quarter, which of course we are still in for the next few days. Um, and the second quarter is shaping up to be a little bit rough as well, at least certainly in the beginning of it. And, and so I know we've talked about this in the past, Sarah, but how long can you go as a mortgage bank not making money? You know, and we're not just talking about originations. Servicing is not as great a business as it had been either. And so I think we're going to see a lot more consolidation. Um, you know, it all comes down to how much money do you have in the bank? How much cash do you have? How many investors are willing to to throw in more money on an independent mortgage bank? Uh, given the market conditions, it's, it's a really tough sell. I think what's really challenging is, you know, you you referenced the layoffs and at some point you have to have a certain number of people to to originate a mortgage. I mean, to be compliant, there have to be you you can't is is there really a lot more cutting that can be done without, you know, really hurting your business in another way? Like it, to your point, it feels like we've already we've already seen some pretty drastic cuts. In in your opinion, do you feel like there's more to do there? Yeah, I, I do think that there's there are certainly more cuts to be made, and cuts for the most part are, you know, when when we think of cuts, we think of layoffs, right? I mean, we don't think about, um, you know, perhaps shedding certain services or uh, cutting new deals with vendors or other business partners. That is happening. Maybe it hasn't happened to the level um, that it needs to happen, right? There's certainly not as much innovation that has lowered the cost to originate as as one might have expected by now, if you had talked to somebody, you know, about the promise of technology, say two, three years ago, right? When when we had all these you know record profits and and you know so many people talking about uh, the brighter future for the mortgage industry as as you know as it relates to efficiencies. So that that hasn't happened. There are still too many costs. Period. It's almost always in personnel, but not always. You know, I mean, if you save. 15% by finding new vendors or shedding office space or, you know, creating new new structures to pay certain workers that are more incentive-based rather than salaries or, 
you know, maybe you get a little bit more creative with, you know, your servicing revenue structures, right? I mean, there are, there are limitations to what you can do because this is a highly regulated industry. Um, but there's definitely more innovation that can occur. Uh, you know, every independent mortgage bank is going to have to find their own path to doing so. Some of them are very top heavy. Some of them pay way too much to executives and, you know, C-suite staff members that are, I mean, if you look at the numbers, do they deserve a $4 million bonus? I'm just throwing out a number, of course, but I mean, surely you could think of better ways as an investor to, <laughs> you know, to improve the business, right? Or or to reduce some of those, uh, you know, inefficiencies that, that are present for almost every company. You know, there are very few that uh, can originate a loan for under $8,000 at this point. Um, so it, it is a, a people game, certainly, but it's not impossible. Companies do do it, like literally do it. And so uh, it it will probably require a lot of hard choices. And, and frankly, when, when you're at the top of the ladder, you don't want those choices to affect your own take-home pay, right? Nobody wants to cut their own pay. Nobody wants to cut their own pay. Are there um, different companies? We we did a story last year, just as um, we're seeing the re- the Fed rate hikes go into effect that said, you know, like basically who are going to be the winners and losers under this. And wow, we are still, we're getting so close to it being a year since we did that. And high rates have, have persisted um, or at least higher than they were, right? When you're comparing them and, and just have not found a good way to get back into the fives on a regular basis. And one of the things we looked at is like, here are the kinds of companies who are more, um, they're set up in a better way for this kind of environment, who do we see who's who's not losing money on every single loan? So a lot of these companies are, are privately held, and we don't have great insight into uh, you know how much their profit actually looks like. You know they'll tell you, but no one's going to open the books to us and say, "Here you go." You know, have have fun on on a you know on a Tuesday and, and go through all of our all of our uh, accounting, but. Certainly the ones that have fared worse are big call center lenders that never had strong connections with, you know, real estate agents or other core lead generation operators, right? It doesn't have to be a real estate agent. In most cases it is, but but there are other forms of leads. Um, th- those are the companies that are usually the first to, to cut their warehouse lines, right? You know, they don't need as much in, in a lending capacity power if, if they're not, you know, if, if they used to do 10 billion a month and now they're doing 3 billion, like, what do you need, you know, 12 billion in lines for? Like, why would you pay all of that, right? Um, those that have done better are the very purchase focused, often, um, you know, distributed retail models that still have money to expand and see this as an opportunity to find good producing loan officers and and not have to shell out, you know, a $2 million signing bonus, not have to give them crazy comp agreements, you know, like we saw in 2020, 2021. Um, but the reality is, I mean, none of the big public companies that we covered are doing well. Uh, UWM is easily the most efficient when it comes to, uh, you know, mortgage at least as it relates to cost per loan, they can originate a loan 
much more cheaply. They're practically an assembly line at this point with brokers and their software and their account executives. They have a really well-oiled machine. They're the model of efficiency. They did not make money in the fourth quarter of 2022. And if UWM, which can probably do it, you know, a few thousand dollars cheaper than almost anyone. Um, I, I'd love, I'd love for the NBA to, to identify, you know, those who did make money. I, I think it would probably be a handful and maybe it's because they were much stronger in other, uh, you know, elements of the business. You know, certainly there are some that are really good at servicing and have a lot of MSRs and, and are effective at hedging uh, and and can definitely do pretty well in that respect. But then on the other side of the coin in originations, they're not doing well, right? So, you know, nobody is doing well across the board because, I mean, <laughs> interest rates affect everyone, you know, in, in the same way. Uh, how you reconcile with them and how you strategize is an individual choice, but I mean, nobody, nobody's prospering at this stage and they won't in the first quarter either. Right. I mean, I think the NBA forecast is that second quarter will be, you know, things will pick up and we also expect mortgage rates to fall. Everybody expects mortgage rates to fall a little bit by the end of the year, but that's a long way from now. That is, you know. Yeah. I mean, they kind of have to fall at some point. Sure. I mean, you know, what, goes up must come down eventually because the Fed, depending on who you talk to, has already broken something, right? And that's going to necessitate, if not a slowdown, um, you know, a halting altogether of, of interest rate hikes. And that should in turn, you know, lead to uh, better days for the mortgage industry. But when that will be, I mean, if, if we talked to people, maybe not a year ago, six months ago, and said, well, what do you expect for the first quarter of 2020? three, I think most of them would have said, yeah, rates are going to be lower and and we're going to be approaching the, the spring home buying season, right? And everybody gets excited and, and listings come on and there's more inventory. We're looking at the lowest inventory in, you know, like modern history, right? Like it hasn't happened. There is no sign as of yet, despite all of, you know, all of the, the experts and, and all of the forecasters saying, it's going to pick up that that is what is driving a lot of these forecast models, right? Like nobody really knows what's going to happen with interest rates over the next quarter. Um, I think general, general consensus is that we'll probably tick down a bit, but they're not going to go in the low fives or anything like that, unless there's like a true car crash, you know, that, that really everybody has to rubberneck for. And uh, you know, it, it just changes um, rates entirely, it, you know, barring something like that, the rates are still going to be high. And if people decide they're not going to list their home, the second quarter is going to look just like the first, right? And the third quarter, <laughs> you know, I don't mean to be, you know, a, a doomsday profit or anything like that. It's, it just, it all comes down to rates, right? And, and we just don't know at this point. It does. We desperately need more inventory and it is not clear where that's going to come from. Well, the, you know, the cost to originate and also, you know, compliance and things like that leads me to this next story I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was really good. It's uh, the mortgage industry doesn't want the DTI LLP a fee delayed, they want it killed. And so we have had a saga on these loan level pricing adjustments from Fannie and Freddie. Walk us through that and what's going on there. Yeah. So th this is the latest um, and a really important development in the FHFA, the Biden administration's push to really kind of reframe how upfront pricing and risk-based 
pricing uh, works with with the enterprises. So Fannie and Freddie, of course. And the FHFA has been, I think, pretty consistent in saying that they want to overhaul how the pricing matrix works. And they want to uh, change some of the uh, characteristics in, in terms of who gets you know, a higher upfront, uh, they call an LLPA loan level pricing adjustment, uh, basically an upfront fee, right? On, on certain, you know, whether it's that you have low credit, low credit score rather, or that, you know, let's say you're an investor or, um, you know, that there are all kinds of different, you know, the property type, right? Like that there are all kinds of, the, the matrix is like a, a crazy, crazy thing. And, and, um, it, it, it is complicated. So I, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into it, but but the the main point of it is the FHFA wanted to uh, have lower fees for first time homebuyers, right? And for those who had lower credit scores but higher um, down payments. And one of the ways to get there, because the GSEs still need to make money, right? I mean, that's what it it should be about risk, right? If, if you're thinking about credit, uh, you know, recalibrations. And so one of the major things they did apart from raising prices on investors and on refis, cash out refis in particular, is they said, we want to add a DTI fee. That's a debt to income ratio fee. Now, the problem is this is of maybe all of the LLPAs, the most significant because it changed it changes the fundamentals of what somebody can buy and what what they're shopping for right so if you think that you know based on your debt to income ratio that your loan officer says you know you're you're at based on all of the paperwork that you send over or that they retrieve through the portal um it means let's say for example that you can afford a $600,000 house um, based on where you roughly expect interest rates to be and, and, you know, how many points you're going to buy. And, and, you know, this is what your DTI says, um, you know, you can, you can comfortably afford, right. And you don't want to be over the 50% mark, right. You want to be ideally as low as possible, but, but, you know, that, that is a reality, um, that, that most homeowners and home buyers need to live with. And 40% is pretty normal these days. Right. So, um, what the FHFA did is they basically said, we're going to be adding a big upfront fee based on the DTI, anything over 40%. That's like, I mean, a huge percentage of uh, people who are pursuing mortgages. And if you don't know what your DTI is, because it's going to change, depending on when you you know, get your documents in to what the process may end up looking like. You know, a mortgage process is a fluid thing. It's not like you just put everything in, in one, you know, folder on Thursday and then two weeks later, it just, you know, gets spit out like like you're at a deli counter and you get a turkey sandwich, right? Like these things are fluid and the underwriter may not agree with that or or they may need more information or, or maybe, oh, whoops, like that's actually counted as income according to the IRS and that has to be declared and that's going to change, you know, what your, your debt to income ratio is, right? And so from a very practical standpoint, the mortgage industry is saying, look, like we can't do our job if we don't know what roughly, you know, this major, major component of pricing is going to look like, you know, a week, 
or two later, right? Like you, you can't throw a fee like this because it throws everything into chaos. And then you critically lose borrower trust. If the borrower says, okay, like, you know, here's what my monthly payment would be on the mortgage. Here's what my down payment is going to be. Here's what the rate is. Generally, I know what the lock is. So that's all good. And then suddenly, oh, it's a $3,000 upfront fee for, because my DTI is 45%. And, you know, Fannie and Freddie through the FHFA said um, anything over 40 would be penalized, right? And so suddenly you're like, well, okay, I, I don't have that extra $3,000. So now we have to change what maybe the down payment looks like, right? And that's going to change, uh, or maybe how many points you can buy up front and that changes the rate, right? Like there are so many different permutations. Um, but the industry basically said, you're you're making the fundamentals of our job, like basically not impossible, but much more difficult. And and for what? Like what, what are you really getting out of this? Um you're you're sowing confusion. You're you're making this, you know, a less legitimate enterprise in the eye of the consumer. And like, who does that benefit ultimately? Right? Certainly not Fannie or Freddie, which have, have done a lot of work to rebuild their reputations. Right? And so it's it's a very um, it's it's a fee that has really upset a lot of people in the industry and in the MBA, the CHLA, some of the trade groups, some of the lenders, some of the LOs uh, have been very outspoken, much more so than you typically see. You know, you often see a lot of, well, we're we're so happy that the FHFA decided to take a look at this program, and and while we think that there are you know uh, important fundamentals that they have corrected, we still have some misgivings or we have slight concerns. You know, like it's it's always very couched in sort of you know, like conciliatory language. And this is like, oh my God, we hate it. You need to get rid of this now, now, now. No, not not tomorrow. Now, you, we can't do this. You know, it's it's a very different tone. And I think that's surprising and, and really uh, suggestive of, of how serious a problem it is for an everyday lender who, by the way, is already losing at minimum 2,800 per loan on average. And suddenly they'd have to throw more resources to make sure that some consumer doesn't feel like they got ripped off and lied to and calls the CFPB and, and screams bloody murder, right? So it's like, why are you doing this now? So all of that is to say, um, the FHFA in its infinite wisdom decided that they would not just uh, delay the fee by three months. So it will not be in effect until August 1st. But they also said that basically any loan that is purchased by the GSEs in 2023 would not have uh, this fee uh, you know, in line. So there is a reprieve. It doesn't mean that the fee is going to go away. Uh, the FHFA is saying that they're still willing to engage the mortgage community, the industry, and have you know, hopefully productive discussions and, and come up with, you know, a, a proposal that, that both meets the, the needs of the administration and, you know, doesn't throw uh, a, a pretty critical industry for the U S economy into chaos, more chaos, right? It's already chaotic. So that's, that's not going to change. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hot mess for sure. It is a hot mess because here we have, I mean, we just talked about how difficult it is for people to to even survive right now, right? Um, if you're a mortgage lender uh, of any sort, it's really difficult. And then what this did was just add a layer of complexity at a time when it's like, we, you know, we, we're already losing money. How are we supposed to do this? And then it ultimately hurts a lot of consumers. 
Well, it's a few layers of complexity because, you know, in, in any good relationship, an underwriter and an LO are not friends, right? And like there, there should be a good pushback, you know, you know in, in terms of how those departments, you know, sales and underwriting, uh, you know, kind of interact. Um, but I think now both of these departments, you know, whatever you want to call it, would be saying, we don't even know what to do. Like, we don't know how to approach this problem, let alone figure out how to communicate between one another. Um, you know, you're, you're throwing so many different logistical complications into also like people are now losing their jobs more regularly. We are starting to see larger economic shifts that are affecting people who might be seeking a mortgage right now. And so you already have to to kind of factor in the, the larger volatility in a market that might affect the borrower. Um, and then of course, like how many lenders are already going under, how many are consolidating, you know, if you are potentially looking to acquire a mortgage lender, do you now worry that they haven't put in place a good system for dealing with a major, you know, update like the DTI LLPA change, right? I mean, it's just, it, it affects so many different things. It's, it's a layer cake of crap. <laughs> Sucks. I like the it way the I, industry. It's not the most <laughs> elegant thing I'll say today, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the restraint. If people could see you on video, you're you're you were searching for like what can I say on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so it comes across. I do think it's just so interesting because on the you know so so to your point, you're like oh, okay that three thousand dollars or whatever it's going to be right that was random number, but like at the same time. Fannie and Freddie are looking to do things like, you know, um, really expand basically appraisal waivers. They're calling them now valuation uh, certainty, things like that. But um, and and on the title side, they're looking to do things about the same amount of money on the other side to to save uh, to save the consumer money and to really streamline the process, whatever it is. And it's like it feels like we're sort of at odds here. So, I mean, do, do you feel like there's really a a benefit to, from a risk standpoint of being like, okay, we're going to assign this fee. Like, what does that really do for the risk? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just kind of moving the money around, right? I mean, it's, 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 it doesn't seem like it's about risk profile because if, if it were, you would want, you know, the, the people who are the lowest risk are those who are high income, you know, high credit, um, invest in some cases, investors have the lowest risk, right? Because they have, they have the most money that they can throw at a problem if they have to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, right now we're, we're, we're looking at different federal priorities, which are we want people who have not had certain advantages to get a win, right? And, and in that respect, it is people who might have lower credit scores because, I don't know, maybe they had student loans, medical debt, maybe they had, you know, bills, people have bills, right? I have bills, you have bills, we all have bills. And, and sometimes somebody can get behind because, you know, maybe lose their job, but, but they get a new one, you know, a month or two later, but that means they missed a credit card payment, right? But that doesn't mean that they're at risk per se. Um, and so uh, the administration has made a lot of, uh, I, don't, I don't even think they're gestures, you know, they've made policy positions that are about helping expand the number of opportunities for people who historically have been shut out of home ownership in America. And I think that is a really laudable goal, but it is also, I think, philosophically uh, not in line with a lot of risk-based uh, modeling, right? Because that's 
by definition, where you're going to find the most risk, right? If, if that's, if you're determining risk is based on credit and likelihood that they will pay and likelihood that that job is going to be good and that the down payment is enough, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to argue that that's less risky. It's, it's tough because yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, certainly the FHFA through really, I don't know if it's Fannie independently, you know, that Fannie has to talk to the FHFA if it, you know, if it wants to go out and, and visit a friend on a Friday night, you know, like there's, there's no, it's, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, not, not quite free enterprise. Right. And, um, but, but on the one hand, Fannie absolutely is looking at major, very, very, very significant ways to make homeownership cheaper. They're taking a look at appraisals. That's a cost, right? I, I think I spent $650 on an appraisal, and it, it took a few days, you know, back in 2020, and I felt fortunate. And I don't, I mean, they probably could have taken the same appraisal from two years prior, like not that much changed, frankly. You know, they could have made a few improvements. Was that worth $650? I don't know. Was the title insurance for a house that like was clearly, you know, like no question of, of ownership or history, should that have cost $1,500? You know, right there, we're, we're already up beyond $2,000, right? You know, so I, I think, yes, the government is interested in reducing the costs and they're looking at areas that perhaps could be altered with technology, with new methods of, you know, determining ownership history, valuation, uh, you know, really important components of, of homeownership. But at the same time, you're, you're basically dumping a lot of fees and creating a lot more costs because the lender always bakes that cost into, you know, not always. I mean, if, if they had during the fourth quarter, the IMBs wouldn't have lost 2,800 and uh, per loan and, and interest rates for the average homeowner would have been like 9%, right? But, um, you know, be that as it may, it almost always gets baked in and the consumer pays for it anyway. So does the consumer care that they paid less for appraisal and insurance, but now they pay more upfront because the administration decided, you know, I believe somewhat arbitrarily um, that their random profile was more risky? Like, I, I don't know, as a consumer, I would just say, oh, okay, I saved $3,000 to lose $3,000? Like, how does that wash? There are many parts about this process that seem um, unnecessarily complicated. There are a lot of uh, cooks in the kitchen too. But James, I appreciate you jumping on with uh, me to talk about these stories. And of course, we're going to be looking at more. And I also wanted to um, remind our listeners that you guys have done a great job of really taking what's going on with the banking crisis and applying that to like, how does that affect people in real estate and mortgage? Because, you know, uh, uh, we have a lot of questions right now. Things, I mean, a bunch of things changed over the weekend as they will, you know, we're trying to get ahead of the market. So a bunch of things happened on, on Sunday, even this week, but I would just tell our listeners, um, the reporters and editors uh, that are under James, they're doing a great job of really looking and, and specifically getting the angle of how, to, what does this mean to you, the people who are in mortgage and real estate? So I just want to say kudos to that. Cool. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on. We'll have you again soon. All right. Thanks, Sarah.
Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.